right, good morning, everyone. It's good to see you. Always know when Toby's been leading worship. Um, man, really glad that you all are here today. Um, let me dive in this morning. We are in a series that we have called All In. Uh, and the idea for us is just the idea of being all in as the people of God, the church of God, and what that looks like. And last week we took some time and uh, we talked about what is the church, we're gonna, and we're going to look at that again uh, this week and, and what it looks like for us. And the next week we're going to dive into some more specifics around that. Uh, but I want us to begin with the question uh, that was going to act as our foundation. We talked about it last week. The foundation that was going to act as the foundation for, or the question acting as our foundation for the upcoming weeks in the All In series. And the question is this, and it'll be on the screen. It's simply this. God, where do you want me to partner with you in the life of the church in 2020? Right, God, where do you want me to partner with you in the life of the church in 2020? And and the idea of partnering uh, in the church is we then said, all right, well, let's talk about uh, what does it mean to be the church and what is the church? Because how we define church will impact how, where and how we partner with God in the church and where we partner with them specifically in 2020. And we said in the New Testament, it's understood by the Greek word ekklesia, which means it's on the screen to an assembly or a gathering of people who are called out for something specific, for a purpose. And so we said last week, ecclesia is not specifically a spiritual word. In the Greek, ecclesia was just any group of people who left where they were to gather together for any sort of intended purpose. And so when we were talking then about the ecclesia, a gathering of people for a purpose, we said it was people who left where they were to gather together for the purpose of Jesus, and we know the purpose of Jesus, the great commandments to love God and to love your neighbor. It's ultimately about saving the world, right? That's really what it's about. It's about the saving of the world. It's about salvation, God moving on the on behalf of humanity to save us so we could live for eternity with him. And so now when we talk about the ecclesia, when we say church, we're talking about the people of God who gather for the purpose of God to save the world. And so in this, right, in there as, as Christ followers, we are a people who gather for the purposes of God. In fact, we are only the New Testament church if his purpose is leading us and is the reason that we gather we are only really the New Testament version of church if the reason that we gather is the purpose of God. And so that then should make us ask the question, why did I gather today? Like what purpose ultimately is leading me and guiding me to be a part of church? We also said that church was not a place, right? It's a church in a place. Church is about people who gather. That's why scripture is like when two or more are gathered in my name, there I am in their midst. And you have a gathering for the purpose of God. Therefore, it is church. Church is not about a place. It's about a people who gather for the purpose of God. People who get all uptight 
right? About their gathering spaces, right? And all of the places that they go. We're missing the heartbeat of the New Testament. The New Testament is defined by the great dispersion. Like, go read history, church history. The church is defined by the great dispersion. What is that? Well, they got attacked, and so they dispersed the great dispersion. All right? They got attacked, and they were dispersed. And where they went, they didn't go, oh, my gosh, we don't have a building. We have no church. Well, let's just sleep in. No, it's like wherever now we gather as people, whether it's in homes, at a restaurant, whether it's just under a tree. Like literally Tom Tanner said one time, he was talking to he's in this uh, church planting cohort uh, for, for his doctorate. And he asked this African pastor one time, says, well, how do you define church? And he goes, two men reading the Bible together under a tree, <laughs> right? And he wasn't joking. That's what he literally meant for church, right? And so this idea, church is not place, it's about people gathering for the purpose of God, the ecclesia. Therefore, again, with our question in mind, God, where do you want me to partner with you in the life of the church in 2020? It's important to recognize our role and our responsibility than in fulfilling God's purpose. Right? We gather for a purpose, therefore his purpose is the reason we gather, and we have to be responsible with that, and we have to recognize our role in it. Several years ago, a good friend of ours, Mark Nicewander, right? A lot of you know him. He was on staff at Riverstone Church who planted us, right? He wrote a book called No More Spectators. A lot of you probably read that. You may have done a small group with it. In it, Mark surmises that people, that because people see church, that because people see church as place, it has lost its effectiveness because it's full of spectators rather than active participants. We're full of spectators rather than active participants. He quotes Christian Smith, who sums up the, these believers this way. These spectators, rather than contributing their part to build the church, they go to church as passive receivers for the purpose of just being edified, built up. They go to church for themselves rather than actively spending the time and energy to exercise their gift for the good of the body. They sit back and let the pastor And other people run the show. Like if you're just to be honest about your experience, this is not like looking in the mirror yet, right? It's just looking at your experience of church. Do you feel like church that you know in America, maybe just in your city, the people that you know view church as a place to go and passively receive because it's been a really long week? Or do you think it's a place that they go to actively participate, receiving and giving in the context of how they view their energy? I have my own personal beliefs and convictions of how I view church in our culture, and I think it honestly revolves more around spectators. On the flip side, we need active participants, those who are actively engaging the vision and the purpose of the church. Like, I don't know if you know this or not, but if God has a vision and God has a purpose, it's not just so that he can be about it. 
right? He doesn't create a vision and a purpose so that he can just follow himself and his own vision and purpose. No, he has followers who gather for his purpose and his vision. He has people who gather for his purpose and to fulfill his vision, right? Active participants are looking to be faithful to the movement of God, contributing to the life and expression of the small seed church. We talked about two weeks there last week where God has placed them and they look for ways to serve with their gifts and their talents, actively looking, actively saying, God, remember, where do I partner with you in the life of the church? They look to God and others to receive from and be filled by, but they recognize that they receive so that they can give away as Jesus said, as I have done for you, so you should do for others. And so church is not about something you do because it's tradition. You don't do it because your parents went. You don't do it just so that your children can be better people in life. You do it for the purpose and the vision of God and nothing else. Everything else submits to it. It's great to bring your children so they can be discipled. That's fantastic. But it's so that they can fulfill the purpose of God, right? They gather for the purpose and vision. You gather for the purpose and vision of God. And so in that, we begin to ask ourselves, are we spectators? Are we functioning as spectators? Or are we active participants? Am I coming just so that I can receive? Or am I coming so I can partner with God's purpose and vision of both giving and receiving. As we begin to ask ourselves, are we really, really actively engaged for us to partner with God in the life of his gathered people, the church, who are fulfilling the mission of God, it will require us again to be active participants. With that in mind, what I want to do this morning is I want to do a quick survey of chapters 2 through 4 of Nehemiah. When I say Quick survey. I'm not going to be diving deep into every single word and nook and cranny and doing some sort of cross-reference over here to give you this full expression of what it's saying. I'm going to do a flyover because I don't know about you, but when I read the Bible in a year, I'm not doing that. I'm flying over to get the full picture, begin to understand what the heartbeat of God is in this story. That's what we're going to do. We're going to get the heartbeat of the story. And then I encourage you this week, right, you this week to dive deep into Nehemiah and begin Begin to see what you can learn and what God's trying to speak into the moment, right? And so in this, what we're going to do is we're going to highlight traits that empower them as the ecclesia of God. You see, they were a people who were gathered with a purpose and they fulfilled it. It's beautiful. They were an ecclesia, a church gathered for a purpose and they had a vision And they completed it. And that, for us, should be something that we learn from. Because let's just be honest, you've all read your Bible. You know there are lots of places in Scripture that people didn't, and the people of God did not fulfill the purpose and the vision of God. That's why they continually, continually got caught in sin. God reprimanded them and tried to bring them back. For 70 years, we know the people of God were in captivity because they did not fulfill the vision and the purpose that God had for them. He was always disciplining them as a good father always does. 
So, first thing, Nehemiah had a clear vision. That's number one. Nehemiah had a clear vision. Nehemiah's vision from the Lord, it was very simple. Hey, rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and restore dignity to the Jewish people. That's what it was. He was a cupbearer, right? He's a cupbearer. I think the Persian king, don't hold me to that. I think it was. I studied him, but I forget. Babylon, Syria, Persia all run together in my head, right? In the Old Testament, I apologize for that, right? But there's, there's a king that they're serving who's not a Jewish king, right? And so in this, he's a cupbearer. It's a pretty high role up here. But his job is not. Like his job is not as a priest. His job is not as a Levite, as a worshiper. His job is not even really as a leader of the Jewish people. But man, he had a conviction, he had a conviction of what was true. We see his words from chapter 2, 17. He's had, like, if you read chapter 1, it's so beautiful. Someone comes to him and says, man, have you seen Jerusalem? It's in rubble. He's like, no, I haven't seen it. Tell me more. And he begins to just be overwhelmed, undone. He's weeping about it, right? In his own prayer time with the Lord, he's undone. He can just imagine this, imagine the wall of Jerusalem, this thing that signifies the people of God, their inheritance, all the way back to Genesis. Right. It's like this place is in rubble. He's undone by it. He's like, oh, my gosh, God, this is not OK. This is not your desire. This is not your will. God, I'm undone. So he goes to the king and says, would you listen? How can I be happy where I am while my city lies in ruin? Can I go and see it? And so he takes a group of people in chapter two and they go. They have no idea why he's going, but he knows. So does Jesus. So does God. Right. Verse 17 says, and I said to them, all right, cats out of the bag now. You have seen Jerusalem. You see the trouble we are in. How Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned. Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer suffer derision. From this point forward, everything Nehemiah does is for one purpose, to fulfill the vision God had given him to reestablish Jerusalem, to rebuild the wall, right? Everything he leads the Israelites to do is about fulfilling this vision, the power of vision, the power of vision, the things that you can see in the future is that it gives a very clear direction that we're shooting for in life. That's the nature of vision. I'm living my life, but I know everything that I do is about that point right there. And everything I'm doing then submits to that vision that's out there, right? Like, here's the deal. You do vision all the time without thinking about it. You do vision all the time. You get ready for a vacation, right? Get ready for a vacation. And what do you say? Listen, I want to relax on this vacation and let the cares of the world fall away. That's what you say on vacation, right? I just want to, I just want to relax and rest and let the cares of the world wash away, right? That's a vision. You said, I got this thing going on for a week, and all I want to do is rest and relax. Anything that comes to me, I'm just going to push it away. I'm just going to push it away because everything submits to my vision for vacation. Or you had kids. Remember when you had kids? Yes, right? Remember when you had kids and you sat there, and in some form or fashion, some language, you said, 
I love my parents, but I'm going to do better. I'm going to love my parents. I'm going to love my children. I'm going to fight for my children. I'm going to defend my children. And I'm going to lead my children to, to a place of whatever you say. is something of being great. Right? Your own language. And then do you know what? Everything you've done from that point forward was because you stated that vision when they were just hours or minutes or seconds old. And so now, what do you do? Do you decide one day, well, I'm just going gonna, gonna to take all that back. I'm going to be awful. No, you don't do that. You go, oh, no, no, no. I've not been a great dad or mom this week. I remember I want to love my kids, give them a safe environment. I want to challenge them, and I want to mature, see them mature until they become who they're supposed to be. I'm going to do better. That's what you do. What does that mean? You literally have put a vision out in front of you, a purpose for why you are parents, and you're going after it. We build vision all the time. Vision It's on the screen. It's an overarching goal that determines what we are doing, where we are going, and everything we do in life is about achieving that desired outcome. The ecclesia, leave that up there on the screen, right? The ecclesia, the gathered people of God in Nehemiah's time had a vision. We will not rest until the wall has been built. Everything that they did, go read the story. If you haven't read it in a while, it's one of my favorites. Go and read the story. It's so powerful seeing how resolute and how focused and determined they are as a people, right? They have this, and they have, they have this overarching goal that they determined what they were doing, where they were going, and everything they did in life until the temple wall, excuse me, the, the gate was built around Jerusalem. They had vision. And the thing we have to begin to ask ourselves as the ecclesia, the individuals who make, who submit to the body, right? Like not your personal vision, not your personal goals. They're kind of important, but not compared to the vision of God to save the world. And that's your overarching vision. If it's not defining your everyday life, then you're not really functioning as an active New Testament Christian. I'm just being honest. The ecclesia, the people of God, we must be about the purpose of God. It must lead us. It must guide us. It must consume us. Did you wake up any morning this week? Hopefully you did and say, Jesus, I am about the kingdom of God today. How do I follow you best and serve you where you want me to serve and fulfill your purpose and vision today? No more spectators, active participants. So we have a vision now, right? We have a vision. So the second thing we see in Nehemiah is everyone had a role. Everyone had a role. I'm not going to read all of chapter 3, but it is a beautiful recollection of every person and every family who was doing the work. I'm not going to read the whole thing because I don't know how to say most of their names. But I'm going to try to read some of their names, and you can laugh along with me as I mess them up, right? So it says, the sons of Hasena built the fish gate with the help of Merimoth, son of Uriah, and Meshulam, son of Berechiah, Joida, son of Paseah. He repaired the gate of the old city with the help of Meshulam, son of Basoidiabada, and so on, and so on, and so on, for 32 verses. Right? Like, how cool would it have been, like, 
150 years later and you're reading it and see your great grandpa's name on there, right? Like that would have been so cool because it would have been a reminder of why you exist, right? It's like there's this beautiful reality here. He's just naming these people, right, who had a role in this vision of rebuilding the gate in front of them, right? For 32 verses, he named them, and each person named again had a specific part to play, a specific role to play. By themselves, just individually, their work would not have seemed like much. But putting the work side by side by side by side with everyone else's work, the vision of God in time, it was completed. Right, The individual is important, but as it relates to its work in the context of the whole vision, they were gathered for a purpose bigger than themselves. They were gathered for a purpose bigger than themselves, and they actively participated in seeing the vision of God fulfilled. They just didn't sit back, right? They didn't sit back with their pita chips. Right, their pita chips and, and whatever thing they had to dip them in back in the day, right, the olive oil or whatever it was, right, their unleavened stinky bread, right. No, they just sat there. They sat there and said, no, 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 we will eat when it's time to eat and we will work when it's time to work. And if we're all doing the work of the, of building, then we will all be doing the work of the building. My job will not come in the way of the kingdom. My children will not come in the way of the kingdom. My spouse will not come in the way of me fulfilling my role in the kingdom, right? My desire for luxury will not get in the way. My desire for all of these things will not get in the way. The purpose of God and his vision for the kingdom is priority and I will give myself to it. So we have a vision we have a role, Ephesians 2, 10. We'll probably look at this in upcoming weeks. I'll just give it to you as kind of a teaser. For we are his workmanship, and that we were his workmanship. We were fashioned by him, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. These aren't works to, to get a higher place in the kingdom. This isn't, these aren't works that we're doing to earn our salvation. They're works in partnership with God for his purpose and his vision. We are simply active participants. And he says, I say, hey, what are you doing today, Jesus? Well, I'm doing this. Then I will do the work with you. He's calling us. So the vision, number three, the vision, man, it had opposition. Have you read Nehemiah? Man, it had opposition. I feel opposition in my throat. Can I have some water? Is there some water down there? I don't see a water down there. Can you hear my coffee? Then I just need something to parch myself with. Thank you. Unparch. To deparch. I'm going to deparch myself. All right. Third. The vision had opposition. Chapter 4 of Nehemiah is about the threats. It's about the threats of those who stood against the rebuilding. And we are told in chapter 4, verses 7 and 8, but when the opposition, there were specific names here, but when the opposition heard that the repairing of the walls of Jerusalem was going forward, and the breaches were beginning to be closed, they were angry. And then they plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to cause confusion in it. Let me ask you a question. Do you have a healthy theology of opposition? Opposition. 
Like, do you have a healthy theology of opposition? You see, in the story, vision had opposition because the vision of God and the purposes of God always has opposition. Have you ever read the New Testament? Jesus faced it, right? He's led by the Spirit into the desert to be to face opposition from Satan. If you ever read, I mean, his own blood family, his brothers literally mocked him. I don't know if you've ever heard, but there's this thing called the cross. It was not pleasant. It was opposition, all, all opposition, all these moments and many others. Remember that moment that they tried to throw him off the side of a cliff early on in his ministry? Hadn't really even done anything yet. I don't know about you, but no one's trying to throw me off a cliff yet for my opposition, for my pursuing the vision of God, at least in the physical, but Jesus faced it. There was real opposition. Have you ever read that all of the disciples, this is post-Pentecost, right, when the church is growing, have you read the church history all the way up to today where people have died for the faith right now while we've been sitting in church? There is a real opposition to the vision and the purpose of God right now as there was in the time of Jesus. Always opposition. Here in the story of Nehemiah, the question we get of looking at them is, well, then how did the Jews respond? How did the Jews respond in their moment of opposition? What can we learn from it? There are many things you can learn. I'm going to pull three things out from one simple verse, and you could probably pull more if you're smarter than me. It's number one. It says this. This is the verse, verse 9, chapter 4. So the opposition was coming, and we prayed to our God and set a guard as a protection against them day and night. We prayed to our God and set a guard as a protection against them day and night. Here we see three things that I'm naming. Number one, they prayed for protection. Like in the moment, they looked to God to fight for them. They didn't hold a committee meeting, right? They didn't, they didn't run in fear. They walked into the presence of God. Like I was thinking this morning, right? You think about, like you see like all these nature shows and they love to show animals giving birth, right? And there's those moments where animals, like the baby animals, they start trying to make their way out, right? And trying to, and all of a sudden there comes that moment, right? There comes that moment when they realize they can't see their mom anymore. And what do they do? They go, ha, ah, ah, and they start crying until and they either run back to mom or mom runs to them, right? Like I feel like that all the time in my life. I'm like, ah, ah, Jesus, Jesus, oh, man, there you are. Couldn't do without you. You know it. We know. We all know it, right? It's that moment. They're saying in the moment, like, yeah, 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 this moment's coming. It's too big for us. Jesus is too big. We need you, God. We need you to move. We're going to lean into you. These people of your opposition, it seems so big. We're not fighters. We're not fighters. We're not like these trained professional special ops. We're just families with pitchforks 
some swords over here, but man, that's not who we are by nature, right? They didn't run in fear. They walked into the presence of God. It reminds me when, when Peter and John got let out of prison in Acts 4, and what does it say they did? It say they, they immediately let them begin to preach the gospel? No, they were rattled. It says they went back to their brothers and their sisters, and they began to pray, say, God, consider our opposition he didn't say take it with us, God, give us strength to persevere, right? And fill us with your spirit. It says, and all of a sudden, God's spirit filled them again, third time in two chapters, right? Filled them again as in Pentecost, and they all, all, listen, and they, and the place where they were meeting was shaken. In that moment, opposition came. They had a theology. When it comes, we're just going to go to Jesus, doesn't mean life's going to be super easy. We may still die for our faith, but at least we're with Jesus. Second thing we see is they, were, they pray for protection. They had a problem, leaned into Jesus. He was their source of strength, their go-to. They didn't men turn to porn. Right? To get their feels on. They didn't go over here and go buy, go shopping. I'm being so sexist here. I get it right. They didn't go shopping and go buy something. Right? They didn't all of a sudden hop on social media and start venting to make themselves feel better. No, they turned to Jesus. Second thing, they were unified. They were unified. Don't miss the word. Don't miss the word before God. It says, our God. It says they came in the moments in verse 9 and we prayed to our God. Do you ever talk like that? Well, at Vintage, our God shows up every Sunday. Da, 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 da. Yeah, yeah, I was walking on the road, my friend. Our God just all of a sudden began to move in power. There was a sense of unity of being Many individuals, but there's one God, therefore it's our God. They may have been individuals, but the individuals making up the whole, the whole was what was most important. They weren't living for themselves, they were living for the whole. I believe spectator Christianity functions differently, right? Spectators worry about their seat, their comfort, their satisfaction, their experience, their healing, their breakthrough, their gifts, and their enjoyment, rather than making sure everyone else has a seat, that everyone else is comfortable, that everyone else is satisfied, everyone else has a good experience, everyone else enjoys themselves, everyone else is able to express their gifts, everyone else is able to do what God's called them to do and making sure we're helping them do it. The wall from Nehemiah's perspective is built because they focused on being unified, our God. I'll be honest with you, and, and I want you to hear the heartbeat behind this. And there's actually lots of talk in theology world today about this. One of the greatest truths about your life is your personal walk with Jesus. One of the most dangerous, one of the most dangerous assaults on the unified body is your personal relationship with Jesus. Because you make it about you and Jesus only rather than me and Jesus for the body. And so you focus on, I can just go home and have my own personal time with Jesus, and it just doesn't work that way. It's not you and your God. It's you and our God, because we are called to be one body working together. I can't work with you and work beside you if you were sitting at home and never show up. 
never get side by side with me. And it's not my job to come to your house and be church with you. No, we gather, we gather for the purpose of being the body. Whether it's on Tuesday nights in prayer, whether it's in small groups on Wednesday nights, whether it's here in worship, whether it's our night of healing prayers that we do on Thursday, whether it's going to a meeting for foster care with a group of people, whether it's sitting down and doing something with other people for the purpose of God, as long as you're gathered, because it's our God and our vision and our people. You can get excited. You can agree with this. Listen. Just press pause. Let me say this. Our church is so quiet. If you feel, I'm not saying, so start making noise for noise purposes, but if God is compelling you to agree, then it's okay to say, yes, Steve. Amen. Preach it, brother. I don't care what you say. Don't cuss. That would be inappropriate, right? But you can get behind the word. You know what I'm saying? I'm going to say something. I want you to hear again the heart behind it. Like you, Pastor Hart, I, I love you. Okay? God didn't primarily bring you to Vintage 242 to be edified. He primarily brought you to Vintage 242 so you could edify us. But what happens was when everyone is doing the role of edification, then everyone receives edification. You see that? If you are all doing the work of edifying, then we're all receiving edification. And it's a beautiful relationship. Now, number three. People in Nehemiah's day, they got uncomfortable. The verse says they set a guard day and night. Guys, you know, day and night, anything is never easy, right? Day and night, anything is difficult in and of itself. Can, like when, when they said, all right, who's going to be the first watch tonight? Everyone was like, ah, right? Now, these guys probably are awesome. Like, oh, I'll do it, right? But I mean, like we're all about it. You're like, oh, my gosh, let somebody. Yes. That's so great. You're such a great servant. Thank you for doing that. Because no one wants to pull the all-nighter. Nobody wants to. But they were willing to get uncomfortable because they recognized they were so committed to the vision that they sacrificed not just for themselves, but for the whole. The vision of the body was more important than the comfort of the individual. The vision of the body was more important than the comfort of the individual. The fourth thing that we see is that vision required wisdom. Vision required wisdom. Listen, I love this. As we continued in chapter 4 of Nehemiah, we see, we see God, he, God frustrates the plans of the enemy. That's literally the language that it says, right? God and his people, in a sense, not only they had won that battle, but, but see the response of the people. See the response of the people in verse 15 and 16. It's Nehemiah speaks this. We all return to the wall, each to his work. From that day on, half of my servants worked on construction and half held the spears, the shields, the bows, and the coats of mail. Listen, in this moment, they didn't live in fear, but they did live aware. They lived wise, prepared for the battle. 
They worked hard and they were ready for the battle well, right? And our generation, if we're honest, I'm not talking about you, of course, it's somebody else, right? But in our generation, many of us are soft, right? We like things to be easy, we don't like opposition, and we don't like to fight. In fact, many people don't have a great theology that's said about opposition. Many people in our generation believe this. If I give my life to Jesus, and he is God and all-powerful, and he can do anything, then he will keep me from hardship and suffering because he loves me. But the only problem is... Doug's letting you know in advance, this little spoiler hurt. There's, there's no place in Scripture where you ever read that. Instead, we see things like, when you face trials and temptations of many kinds, James 1, or Ephesians 6, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the day of evil, right? You could go through again and again and again the understanding that we live in a fallen world, therefore we will live in opposition, and so our theology, our theology must have opposition as part of it, not where we live in fear, but that we live aware. We don't live in fear, but we recognize the battle's coming, so we live prepared, right? In this, I want you to see, right, uh, so embrace the theology that says this, God is awesome. He is. God is awesome and good. It says that here in Nehemiah. And he will not fail us. Those are the words of Nehemiah. We will complete the work needed to fulfill his vision. And we will stand ready at all times to fight the enemy who may attack me, my family, or anyone else in our ecclesia, our gathering of God followers. Right? We live at this place of knowing opposition. We have vision. We're working together. The enemy hates it, so he will bring opposition. But I will not fear, but I will be prepared. I may lose my life, right? But I I won't lose it for eternity because I'll live for, with him, right? It may be super difficult. In fact, it will be. But our God is for us and he will fight. Maybe till so we stay alive. Maybe we don't. But it doesn't really matter because my life is not defined by this earth. It's defined by the vision of eternity. So all I want to do is, like, I just want you to go, oh, my God. Because here's the deal. Like, I should be saying this. And there should, because the Holy Spirit lives inside of you, Jesus inside, there should be this like, yes and amen to these things. Right? There should be like, oh, I feel so drawn to this, even though it's a really hard message and I don't quite get it, but I feel drawn. What is this? Because God is saying, listen, ah, it's so much more. I am your God. I am your God. I want to end this morning with Nehemiah's command. I love this command. It's in chapter 4, verse 20. He says to all the people building the, the, the gate, the wall, Hey, in the place where you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally to us there. Our God will fight for us. Mm. Can you just see Nehemiah and his trumpeter, trumpeteer? He's walking around, surveying, helping where needed. I mean, their eyes are always scanning. Eyes are always looking, always scanning. Nehemiah goes, and Nehemiah was going, oh my God, there it is, there it is, right there. Trumpeteer goes, that's pretty good, wasn't it? And what happens? What happens? Oh man, I'm just too tired right now. I've been working, pulling all nighter. 
You know, I pulled all nighters. This will do the good. I'm sure somebody else will do it. The people who are right next, why don't, the, why don't they help them? I mean, they're just sitting right next to them. I'm on the other, literally, one all the way across. I'm the furthest person from where they are. I mean, don't they know what my life looks like right now? I mean, I got kids, right? I got a job that I hate, right? My car's broken down. I don't have enough money. Oh, my God, my life is like somebody else can do it. No, it says, I want all of you to drop what you're doing. I want you to drop what you're doing in building the gate, the fish gate, the wall. I don't care what you're doing. I want you to drop all of your tools and I want you to bring your weapons. And I want you prepared because if one person struggles, then we all struggle. So we will all fight because we are a people, one body, many parts, and we all have a role to play. I want you to rally. You know, to rally, they had to listen. They had to listen to the warning. They had to leave what they were doing. They had to keep their eyes then focused on God's ability to save and not their own. This morning, the heartbeat of God is, I want you to recognize it's about our. In fact, there are two places in the New Testament where it talks about people being the temple of God's in 1 Corinthians, I was reading this week. One talks about the individual being the temple of God. The other talks about the people together being the temple of God. Two distinct things. We are the dwelling place of God as we gather together. Unique skill sets. Some of you have to die to the lie today saying, well, you don't have anything to offer. Straight from the pit of hell. I do want to let you know we have this taco about children's ministry thing coming up, February 9th, 1245. We want you to disciple our kids. It's a lunch and info meeting, right? You can RSVP online. Why do I bring this up? Because I want to bring it back to home. Like there are, this is just a specific thing. It's a special announcement I'm supposed to give this morning. I put it here because I want you to recognize. You're like, yeah, let's do that. Oh, children's ministry. Mm. We rally. That's not my thing. Really? I'm going to stay over here and do my thing. No, let's rally. All right? Let's rally. Because the heartbeat of God is this. We want to be people here about the vision. You can take that off the screen. I want you to be honest about where you are. I want you to think about this guy. You've heard this before. In the 80s, sometimes no one knows exactly who this came from. Supposedly it was some missionary over in Africa who, who knew, man, things were about to get rough for him. And so he sat down and penned some words. And then 24 hours later, he was presented either renounce, the, renounce Jesus or die. He said, Jesus, and he died. People came back to his, to his tent later to the place where he was staying, and they found these words penned. You can read on the screen, follow along on the screen. You can just close your eyes and listen. But here's a guy who understood the vision, who got behind the purpose of God. He says this, I am a part of the fellowship of the unashamed. 
I have Holy Spirit power. The die has been cast. I have stepped over the line. The decision has been made. I am a disciple of his. I won't look back. I won't let up, slow down, back away, or be still. For my past is redeemed. My present makes sense. My future is secure. I am finished and done with low living, cheap talking, sight walking, small planning, smooth knees, colorless dreams, tame visions, worldly talking, cheap giving, and dwarfed Goals. I no longer need prominence, prosperity, positions, promotions, plaudits, or popularity. I don't have to be right, first, tops, recognized, praised, regarded, or rewarded. For now I live by faith, lean on his presence, walk by patience, afflicted by prayer. I labor, I work with power. My faith is set, my gate is fast, and my goal is heaven. My road is narrow, my way is rough, my companions are few, and my guide reliable. My mission is clear. I cannot be bought, compromised, detoured, lured away, turned back, diluted, or delayed. I will not not flinch in the face of sacrifice, hesitate in the presence of the adversary, negotiate with the enemy, ponder at the pool of popularity or meander in the maze of mediocrity. I won't give up, let up, shut up until I've stayed up, stored up and prayed up, paid up, preached up for the cause of Christ. I am a disciple of Jesus. I must go until he comes, give until I drop, preach until all know and work until he stops me. Then when he comes for his own, He will have no problem recognizing me, for my banner will be clear. Father, these things are true because of the work of Jesus. Father, we confess that our actions and our striving and our own strength, they are worthlessness. But your cross is real, and Pentecost occurred, and we now have the Spirit of God inside of us. Father, you have not called us to be spectators, but you've given us your Spirit so that we can be active participants, fulfilling the great commandment of loving God and neighbor, of fulfilling the great commission to go make disciples of all nations and baptizing them in your name, that you've given us your spirit that we may be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and all the way to the ends of the earth, Father God. It is grandiose, the vision, and it's expressed just one Active step of obedience at a time in the context of the little C church that we are a part of here in Dallas, Georgia. And it occurs, Lord, as we preach the gospel to thousands and as we go to this taco thing for children, this taco bout and disciple our children to be warriors for Jesus. Father, we can talk ourselves out of anything. We can defend our own personal rights. We can talk about where we are and our own strength. But I praise you, Father, that you called us and said, listen, I've empowered you. I've gifted you. I've given you a purpose before you and a vision that is mine. 
don't believe the lie of the enemy says you can't. You can do all things that I call you to do in obedience because of my spirit inside of you. And so, Father, help us. Father, for those who have burned out over the years in doing, I pray that you would give them new vision to see, hey, you burned out because you didn't slow down and in solitude and silence with me as a discipline of your everyday life, spend time with me as I can refresh. You didn't Sabbath. You didn't stop and listen. So, Father, today I pray just for each person, no matter where we are, Lord, we're all at different places on this journey, God, or around here. I see like a, like a circle, and we're all kind of at different pieces of the pie of, like, response and why you are where you are and your viewpoints on all of this and the things you're even arguing about in your own head about this right now in the moment rather than just sitting still to listen to Jesus. Just be still and know that he is God in the moment. Listen. Don't defend don't have a mental argument with me right now in your head. Just listen to Jesus. Father, I pray to each person, God, where even there's a level of tension, I pray that you meet them this morning and give them clarity. And we pray, Father, you would help us to be a people who live by your vision, who are unified in our purpose. God, who are wise in anticipation of opposition, but then who rally when the trumpet is called for the body of Christ. Father, have your way. We want to be a generation, not just a person, but a generation that you look at and say, hey, well done, good and faithful servants. Well done. We killed it together, didn't we? So Jesus, come and have your way this morning.